Hello to all you podcast listeners. Every Monday, we're bringing you something really special. One of the great spiritual thinkers of our time, Eckhart Tolle and I, are giving you a chapter-by-chapter class on what I believe is his groundbreaking masterpiece, Eckhart's best-selling book, A New Earth, Awakening to Your Life's Purpose. This book resonated with me in such a profound way. I truly think that it's the most important book I've ever read. It's changed the way I live my life, so much so that I always have a copy on my nightstand because I constantly give myself a refresher course. And now more than ever, we need to create what Eckhart calls a new earth inside our personal lives, in our communities, and the world. Give it a listen, and over 10 episodes, you too will be opened up and learn how to quiet your mind, get your ego in check, live a fully more present life. My greatest hope is that Eckhart's quiet wisdom and patient teachings will resonate with you as they have with me. So I encourage you to get your own copy of A New Earth, Awakening to Your Life's Purpose, and join us for a thrilling, enlightening, and spiritual experience every Monday for the next 10 Mondays. It's a new year, hopefully a new you, and a new earth. I'm Oprah Winfrey. Welcome to Super Soul Conversations, the podcast. I believe that one of the most valuable gifts you can give yourself is time. Taking time to be more fully present. Your journey to become more inspired and connected to the deeper world around us starts right now. Thanks for joining me again as we continue exploring one of my favorite books ever, Eckhart Tolle's A New Earth. Today, Eckhart and I dig into chapter four, and it's all about role-playing and the many faces of the ego. Mm, Shows up in lots of different ways. Think of all the roles that you might identify with. Parent, daughter, son, perfectionist, victim. The list goes on and on. Today, we'll discover how defining ourselves by roles and labels actually feeds the ego, keeps that thing going all the time, and can keep you feeling stuck. And if you're an animal lover like me, you're going to love what Eckhart has to say about the greatest lesson our pets can teach us. They're not just there to be pets. Big lessons there. And here we go. Chapter four of Eckhart Tolle's A New Earth. Welcome, everybody, to week number four of our New Earth class. Thank you again for joining us as we come together to study and to discuss Eckhart Tolle's A New Earth. I am just so happy that uh, so many of you around the world are making time. You're giving time to yourself every week to be awakened, and we're all doing this together. It is really my deepest hope that our collective consciousness will begin to create a powerful transformation not only in our individual lives, but in the future of our planet. So welcome to you all and welcome, sir. Thank you. Yes. Let us begin here on chapter four, which is a very long chapter. Yes. When you wrote this, you you must have been at it for a while. Yes, and in a way it reflects all the main themes in the book that are actually already contained in that chapter. Yes. The chapter is called Role Playing, The Many Faces of the Ego. So before we really begin, I'd like to take a moment and talk about 
one of the most frequently asked questions. So many people who are committed to, to the book and becoming aware of a new way of thinking, a new way of consciousness, want to know how they can relate to people in their lives who are not yet on this path and don't think they need to be. Yes. The main thing is that the shift uh, can only happen inside you. So not to expect other people to also change or to expect or say, I cannot change uh, unless somebody close to me also changes. The main thing is to take responsibility for your own state of consciousness and allow other people, especially people that you are close to, to be where they are not to demand that because something is happening inside you and you are beginning to change, not to demand that others should also change. Change does not come about in others by trying to make them change. The most powerful way of bringing about change in others is not trying to bring about change in the other, but to completely accept the other as he or she is. So that's, that is absolutely vital. There are even schools of psychotherapy that recognize that. So you give the other person you complete acceptance. And that's part of this change that's happening in us is that we step out of the judgmental mind mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. that continuously judges the other. So we step out of that and if we step out of the judgmental mind we are able to simply accept the, your partner, a close friend, a family member, a relative. This is where they are at right now. They are still going through their old behavior patterns. Mm -hmm. What has changed is you are no longer resisting their patterns and reacting to, and by reacting, reinforcing their patterns. That's right, that's right. So you're not taking part in that game anymore. So that's part of your change ha has to be your willingness not to judge, you know, to sit yes. back and to, to be an observer yes. in your own life and then to more clearly see the ego in others as you also see it in yourself. Yes. Don't judge it. No. And just, just know that that's what it is. Yes, and don't mistake what you're observing, the behavior that people manifest. As, not, as them. Not, that's not who they are. Hey, hey, hey. And that's a vital distinction because if you mistake that for who they are, then mm -hmm. you, you will perpetuate that kind of behavior. So that's not, it, it won't work. Acceptance is vital, acceptance. And isn't it sort of like, I mean, all of you who've asked that question, it's kind of like when people join the church or are, quote, born again, or, you know, we've heard about being born again in the church, or you find Jesus, or you find Buddha, or you discover a new way of being for yourself, and now you want everybody to go to Jesus. Yes. And you want everybody to believe what you believe. Yes. That is part of your ego that now wants people to believe what you believe. Yes. And yes. so that's a trap one can fall into, even with this teaching, which isn't really based on belief at all. So it's not a new belief. We're mm -hmm. not trying to find some new belief. It's going beyond the, the thinking mind to, into awareness. Mm -hmm. uh, but there is always the danger when you discover something new that you want to talk you want about to share it, it with everybody, others. With other and people. sometimes it works yeah. because sometimes the other person is totally ready and receptive right. and say, wow, I never realized oh, that. Yeah. But they recognize it from within because the readiness is there. Right. But the readiness is not there in everybody. So 
some people buy copies of the new earth or the power of now for their friends or relatives and then give them out and sometimes they are disappointed when the other person says doesn't make sense to me doesn't at all make sense to me, yeah. it means they're not yet ready and that's fine maybe yeah. they put it on the shelf and maybe 10 years later they are ready it's yeah. quite possible absolutely absolutely we're going deeper into identifying the ego in all of its forms chapter four role-playing and the many faces of our ego let me start by um, saying that I think the essence, it's a long chapter, but I think that the essence of this chapter is what you say on page 104, everybody, that you are a human being. What does that mean? Mastery of life is not a question of control, but of finding a balance between human and being. Mother, father, husband, wife, young, old, all roles that you play, the functions you fulfill, whatever you do, all that belongs to the human dimension. It has its place and needs to be honored, but in itself it is not enough for a fulfilled, truly meaningful relationship or life. Human alone is never enough no matter how hard you try or what you achieve. I just love that sentence. I loved it so much I wrote, wow. <laughs> <laughs> See, I wrote, wow. Human alone is never enough, no matter how hard you try or what you achieve. Then there is being. It is found in the still, alert presence of consciousness itself. The consciousness that you are. Human is form, being is formless. Human and being are not separate, but interwoven. Yeah. That's the essence to me of this chapter. Yes, and one could say the essence of the whole teaching in a way, it's yes. one way of putting it. Uh, so, and of course... Human alone is never enough, no matter how hard you try or what you achieve. And that is the essence of why people are in such suffering and such struggle and such angst against themselves in life, is it not? And it's why they play roles because the ego plays roles, because there's unawareness that within you there is the source of all power. So people who are out of touch with the power within, or the place where all power resides, the aliveness itself, consciousness itself, then they feel a sense of lack. Why are they not in touch with it? Because they are not present. They are not in the present moment, because the present moment is the entry point into that place of power within. If you're not present, mm -hmm. you don't realize that there is a source of power within, and then you believe that you need to get secondary power from someone or some situation or other people. Then you, the ego plays roles to manipulate the environment and other people to get what it thinks it needs, not realizing that all the things that it thinks will give it the power that it seems to lack all that is already within you, if you could only be present in the now. I got it. <laughs> okay, so the question is how not to lose ourselves in the human dimension. How not to, by being present in the now. Yes, and by realizing that whenever you lose yourself, realize In the human dimension. In the human... That's all the stuff that's be that, being that being human brings with it. Yes, the, on the most primordial level, Losing oneself means losing oneself in that continuous stream of thinking that goes yeah. through people's heads. So you, it drags you along, it takes all your conscious attention 
Remember, we started today with taking attention away Wait, from mind and putting mind. it into the body. Right. Another thing you can do is take attention away from thinking and put it into sense perceptions and really look and listen and, and touch things. So, like, an alertness arises. You know what I found by doing this? I don't know about all the rest of you, but I have found by being more present, just doing that one exercise, putting yourself, if I'm walking along a path in the woods near my house, be there and not be, you know, in my head thinking yes. about what I need to do, just to be there. And what I found is, I don't know if you all are realizing this too, you are just less stressed. Less stressed. You're just less stressed, you're calmer. Yes, and you don't carry the heavy burden of, of a personality or me with the burden of past and future, my problematic future, my problematic past. You're, you're much more, you're light and free when you walk in, in presence. Then how do you ever plan for anything? If you're not thinking about the future, how do you ever get anything done? You plan in the present moment. When the time comes to plan, and the time is not when you're walking in the woods, and when you're walking in the woods, the time is to be present. Unless you want to go to the woods to plan. You could go to the woods you to could. plan? You could, yes, yeah. you could. But it's much more likely that your planning is going to be fruitful if, if it is preceded by a period of presence and stillness. All right. Any mind activity is much more likely to be beneficial and to be creative if it's preceded by presence and stillness. And then you apply the mind and say, okay, what do I have to do today? And then you make a list. So if you're going to be in, in the future, do that as a concentrated event yes. or experience. Yes. Say, now I'm going to sit and plan. Yes. And don't, don't, and Think then. Think about tomorrow. Once you've done that, then you know this is what I have to do so that you're not continuously in the next moment. You don't project yourself. You play mental movies about what you're going to say mm -hmm. when that situation arises. Mm -hmm. uh, so you can, you trust in life that whatever it is that you need when the future comes will be there. Uh -huh. So that's the, well, as far as practical matters are concerned, future is simply something that you use, like I call it a clock time. You make an appointment for tomorrow. Uh, and you, you deal with tomorrow, tomorrow. Yes, so you, you don't continuously project yourself away from the now right. to some future, believing that it's more important, going to be more important than the now. It's not. Because what you say on page 122, anybody who is one with what he or she does is building the new earth. Yes. And that's how you do it. Being one with what you're doing means being total in what you do so that the main focus of your attention is not where you want to get to. You know where you want to get to. Right. But the main focus of your attention is on the actual doing now. So this is what the energy flows fully into this. The energy doesn't, is not diverted from what you're doing now through mental dysfunction because you, you're wanting to get there because then whatever you're doing will be stressful. Because whatever you give your 100% attention to is going to be better anyway. Yes. Absolutely. There was a Zen master, he was, uh, he was watching somebody um, in a competition, archery, and a man was trying very hard to win this competition, but he just couldn't make it. And then somebody asked the Zen master, what's he doing wrong? And the Zen master said, his need to win drains him of power. Wow. And so his need to win is some future, he wants to have some future moment where he's going to be fulfilled. Wow. So his attention is not totally in the now. So 
the now, where all power resides, wow. this power that resides in the now cannot flow then into what you're doing. The openness isn't there. Yeah. Because to, to have mastery in any endeavor, whatever it is, you need to be total in what you do. That's what athletes know. The yes. great ones know. They, and then they, when they enter that, they call it the zone. Yeah, okay. When Kadada from California was saying that as a young person, she's thinking about the future and thinking about wanting to have a career and husband and so forth. I think a lot of people felt unsatisfied by your response. I've heard that a lot of people were like, I feel the same way Kadada feels. A lot of people are wondering where the passion goes, where the ambition goes and how you ah, can relate passion okay. and ambition, which is what I think Kadada yes, was saying, yes, okay. with, yes. with this, this new awakening. Yes. So do we now just, we're just all so awakened and that we become passive people? No, the passion is much greater when you are totally focused on what you're doing now. There will be far, the passion will become stress. The more you're focused on where you want to get to, the more the passion will degenerate into stress. You may still have a high energy, but it's, there's a lot of negative energy that comes in. Mm -hmm. So if you want to remain truly in your power, then you need to be total, and that applies to the smallest thing that you do during the day. Right. Because even great endeavors consist of small steps, even the greatest thing. You are doing wonderful work, but every day that you spend consists of small steps. One needs to be present as you are, that's where the power comes from, every moment and not look to some future moment that promises some kind of greater fulfillment. That is the delusion. It does not mean that you don't have a plan. You can plan, You, I want to achieve, I want to build up a business, mm -hmm. I want to do this or that. Yeah. But the main focus must be in the doing. And if the main focus is in the doing now, that's the passion is there and the deep enjoyment is there and an intensity of energy. An intensity of energy. Now, people often... Say that again, what the Zen master said, that his, uh, his desire his to desire win... His desire to win drains him of power. Desire to win drains him his of power. His need to win need drains to win. him of power. Power. So the... Right, be, being, yeah, that's the being present. You're just focused on whatever is necessary in that moment. In that moment. I'm sure and that struck a lot of people, that, that Zen master quote. There. Yes. Because you're so, you got to win, you got to make it, you got to succeed, yes. you got to, got to, got to. And that's draining energy from you. Instead, we should be focused on this moment, this step, and then the next step, and then the next step. That's right. Okay. Now, you may win if you're try very hard or very stressed, occasionally it happens that you do win, but it's not really worth it because you get more and more depleted. And after a while, you lose the, you lose the joy of life. Mm -hmm. If you spend five years of stress and finally you achieve what you wanted, is that worth it? Right. Is there joy in what I'm doing? Is there any liveness, any intensity? That's the question. People believe sometimes high energy in our civilization when there's high energy in what you do, often people believe uh, there must be stress. They cannot imagine high energy in what you do without stress. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, mm -hmm. because that's how we are conditioned, because yeah. we're always conditioned to look to the next thing. But there is a much more powerful state of high energy and intensity of energy. I was energy. gonna say where the energy is intense and focused. No, no yeah. stress at all. No stress at all.
So let's, let's get into this chapter. You say that we can assume that the ego is at play whenever we feel superior or inferior to anyone else. Now, I, I know this is true. When you see the person who's the biggest jerk out there, you know, people who act with such a sense of superiority and arrogance, I know that that is because they are really feeling inferior. Yes. But still hard to deal with. Yes. But what surprised me is that you say that often people who are also shy um, are also acting out of their egos. And you say whenever you feel superior or inferior to anyone, that's the ego in you. Why is that? Well, if you're shy, then you're, you're, what, I, what you fear is to be found uh, wanting, but so you're not, you dare not. You say not the fear is that the attention may take the form of disapproval or disap criticism. Yes, you're yeah. afraid of that. So because you're afraid of that, whatever the disapproval or the criticism would represent an injury of your mentally mind-made sense of self, which is the ego. Mm -hmm. So it would, the image that I have of myself as a capable person or whatever it is that I'm trying to uphold if I, if I encounter criticism, the ego immediately will be hurt. And so a, a shy person would not dare say anything mm -hmm. because they're afraid of ego loss. Afraid of ego loss. <laughs> Got it. And so because sometimes that's mistaken for e an egoless person, a person who's very but it's meek not. and it's not. <laughs> and deep down inside the shy person or a person who is suffering from this sense of inferiority, there's the desire the unexpressed desire to be superior. Wow. And inside the person who acts superior, who seems to have a big confident ego, there's always the hidden fear that he might be inferior. Uh -huh. And his whole acting out is to compensate for that hidden fear of being inferior. Okay, behind every positive self-concept is the hidden fear of not being good enough? Yes. Behind every negative self-concept is the hidden desire of being the greatest or better than others? Yes. And where does self-esteem fit into all of that? Where does real self-esteem, what would true self-esteem look like? Well, the first there is the ego self-esteem, which right. is really, um, even if you have high ego self-esteem, as we've just seen, there's always hidden fear underneath it. It's always there to compensate for that fear that you feel of not being good enough, of perhaps failing. Mm -hmm. So you need to play a role of being big to compensate for the fear of failure that's deep down. So that's, but that's usually the world calls that, uh, he has, yes, the world would say he or she has high self-esteem, if people who have big egos, but the world right. doesn't realize that that's not true self-esteem. True self-esteem goes much deeper. It's finding the source of power and aliveness deep inside. We talked about the lake, mm -hmm. realizing that within the depths of your being, there is that continuous source of intense aliveness and power, which is the stillness out of which everything comes, the potential, the unexpressed potential for all form is there within every human being. You just have to become still. So true self-esteem is realizing that that sense of being, that presence, is there. It comes out of the stillness. That it comes out of the stillness. And that presence in me is the same as the presence in all people. Yes. And when you recognize that and act from that space within yourself, 
that is when you have true self-esteem. That's true self-esteem. And self-esteem then is not no longer derived from the belief that you are better than somebody else. And so you are not attached to the labels or the roles that you play. Mm. And you speak about the many various roles that everybody has. Yes, and then you're no longer devastated by criticism or get very angry when you're criticized, as the ego does. Uh -huh. The ego is either totally devastated when you get, or it gets very angry when it gets criticized, the self-image. But you know, there's a role that most women in, in our society and all societies play, is that role of mother, which yes. is a very, which is more than just a role. I mean, it's real. It's not yes. just a role. Yes. Yeah. It's, so the, we need to differentiate between the function that you need to fulfill in this world for a while. Right. So if you have As a, a child, your function is to be the mother and to fulfill the function of being the mother, which of course is looking after the child, mm -hmm. sometimes set limits, what the child is allowed to do and so on. That's all fine. Now, if you become too identified with your function, then the function turns into a role. And then you cannot let go of the role, and that gets stuck to you. And even when the child grows up, and especially teen, becomes a teenager, you still behave as if your child were small, and you still try to control and try to protect when it's no longer appropriate. I got it. Because you're stuck with the role then. Uh-huh. So sometimes the, when, when the children become adults, the adult children are still treated by their parents Parents who are stuck in the role of parents. They can't let go of the role. Yes, so they, need, they believe unconsciously that they need to continue to protect and ultimately control yes. what the child does. Because you don't parent a child the same at every age. No. Absolutely. Yeah. And so they've lost sight of the function that they had as mother to be guide and to direct and to yes. correct and to help and to protect. And uh, right. Yes. And, and they want to carry that into the future yes. because they are attached to the role. Yes. Okay. And it's not only when the few when this when children grow up, even when the children already are still small, right. if you are completely identified with this role of mother, then mm -hmm. also it can become obsessive. Mm -hmm. So you might become too controlling or overprotective. Mm -hmm. Certain functions become overemphasized. You go too far in fulfilling these functions. So, so what was good initially is looking after the child, protecting the child, can become too much. Okay. I got it. Yeah. I got it. Well, let's clarify what we mean by roles, because I think it's confusing to some people who say, well, listen, I am a doctor. I am a teacher. I am a lawyer. I am a store clerk. I am a that. Those are labels. And what is the difference between the job functions that we have and the so-called, and, and roles, you know? I and met, the roles that we play. I met a woman, uh, middle-aged, and she talked to me in a certain way, and I asked, are you a school teacher? Mm -hmm. And she said, now how did you know that I'm a school teacher? Mm -hmm. She so did that? She was, because she had already, she talks to people as if she were talking to the children at school. Okay. <laughs> so, okay. and even when she said, how did you know? She was pointing a finger. Okay, okay. You naughty boy, how did you know that? Yes, yes. Of course, that's how I knew it, because she had become completely uh, identified with her function. Right. So the role took her over. She couldn't leave it. She couldn't leave her function behind after work. Even inside her family, she behaved like a teacher. You say when you adjust the way you interact based upon who you're talking to, you're playing a role. Yes, that also. So do we talk to everyone the same? 
No, most people, if they, but you need to have some uh, power of self-observation, which yeah. is another children, word for awareness. Children, we talk to children differently. Yes. You, friends differently than we do a head of state. Yes, or yeah. a so-called important person and a so-called not important the person. The janitor in a building different See than you speak to your boss. Yes, and uh, this is very interesting to observe in oneself. Yourself. Because yeah. you need to observe it in yourself, otherwise you won't know that you're doing it. And you can only observe it in yourself if there's some awareness there that is yeah. outside of the role. And is this why when you go to a party or you're at an event and you don't know people, the first thing they want to know is, a friend of mine, Marlene, said to me, who was who taking our class every week, hello, Marlene, that she was at a gathering recently and that she was trying to practice the principles of a new earth and that she was introducing herself around the table and she was doing that in such a way that she didn't talk about what she had done or accomplished or, you know, who she was married to or where she lived, and that one of the people at the table said, well, we don't care about who you are. We want to know what you do. <laughs> we want to we know what do you do. And what I realized is people want to know that so they can determine your so-called value. Yes. And to see if you will be of value or... Yes, perhaps that... They, or necessary yes, perhaps. for them to play the role with you. Oh, yes, enhance their ego or whether you might be a threat to their ego, uh -huh. whether they can use you or whether they need to be afraid of you or whether they want to have further whether contact. Whether you fit in their circle. Fit in, yes. Yeah. And all these things, and then many judgments go through people's minds often when they meet somebody and they're automatic. You observe... And that is what people mean by what do you do, really, yes. isn't it, for the most yes. part? They want to say, what do you do? Let me place it in, in terms of yes. how valuable yes. that's going to be to yes. me. Now, when you don't play roles anymore, you don't have to become strange. And then when you go to parties and somebody asks you, what do you do? You say, I, have I am. Oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> I am. I am that I am. That is all that I am. This yes. is the basic truth, but yes. you don't need to say that when you go to a party. You don't? You can actually talk quite normally without being identified with what you say. So if people ask me... So, so, so that's the well, essence of what you're trying to say to yes. us in this chapter, is that, of course, there are all roles that we are assigned or labels that we use to identify ourselves. What you're saying is... The problem is when you become completely identified with yes, it. Yes, yes. And you think that is who you are. Yes, and you, you behave and act as if that were who you are. So you get trapped inside that, that conditioned personality. And whatever you do, then this, the, the personality is acting out. You mentioned in the book where, where you play the role of patient, yes. and if you go to a doctor, who's playing the role of doctor, he often doesn't see you, the person, because yes. he's playing the role. Yes, he has become so identified with his function that the function has taken him over and he has become a role. So, and many patients can actually feel that when they go to a doctor, whether there's a human being still there mm -hmm. or whether the doctor has become a role. Absolutely. And so when the doctor has become a role, the, the, when you go to that doctor, you don't feel acknowledged anymore in your Absolutely. beingness. You feel he, he might be very competent as a doctor, I know. but something vital is lacking in the interaction when you see a doctor. He might be the greatest expert in his field. It still doesn't help. Yes. Something very vital is missing. And everybody... And you feel completely... That happened to me recently, where you feel completely dismissed and disconnected. Because he, you're, you're, you're thinking he's just trying to get me out of here so he can get the next person in. Yes. Yeah.
Now, if he does that to you, you can imagine what he does that to a normal person. Yeah. Because yeah. <laughs> yeah. usually people treat, treat, me, treat me pretty nice. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway. There's a question from Grace in Pleasanton, California, that says, since I've been an owner of a dog, I find myself so much more in the present. My question is, why am I naturally so much more <coughs> present with an animal than I'm sometimes dealing with people? Ah, yes. Well, the animal does not provoke thought activity because the dog is not thinking. When the dog looks at you, the dog is not thinking what kind of a person you are. The dog is not judging you. There's the dog is at a state of consciousness prior to the arrival of thought. So the dog is, and that state has certain similarities with, with the state of presence, which is the state of going beyond thinking, where we mm -hmm. are going. Mm -hmm. In both cases, if you are... If you so are, in that way, the dogs are a little more enlightened than we are? In some ways, the dogs are more connected with being... With being, that's ...than we mean. are, than yeah. normal humans are. Normal humans are. And so... Because that's where they are all the time. Yes, and I sometimes call them dogs and cats particularly, because that's the... the for pets that for millions of humans are very important in their lives. Right. I call them guardians of being. Because, guardians of being. Because for many people, they fulfill that function. They, for many people who are so lost in their minds, so much involved in their thought processes, the only moments they have when they are not trapped in that is when they are relating to their animal, their pet. All right. You say that the role of the parent should not be to spare children from all suffering. Why not? Because, no, first of all, you can't. It's, it would be futile to even attempt. Of course, you protect the child as much as you can. But every human being has to go through a certain amount of suffering. You cannot come into, to this planet and avoid suffering. Because <laughs> that's what being a human being is. Yes. Is and that there is a there's some discord. Yes. Yes. And that is how we grow. If there were a human being that ha could have avoided all suffering, that human being would be totally superficial and totally identified with the external form of things, because it's suffering that drives you deeper, drives you within, where you need to find. And by suffering, do you mean not getting what we want? Well, that's one form of suffering okay. too. Uh, there are different forms of suffering. Many forms of suffering, of course, are generated by the ego mm -hmm. itself. These are ultimately unnecessary forms of suffering. Right. But they don't, they, they are necessary for as long as you are unconscious. And another word for suffering would be challenges or difficulties, correct? Yes. Yes. Um, challenges. Um, so you are, can't be a human being without being challenged? No. Uh, that would be you would miss the whole purpose for being here. Okay. Uh, so you need to see even your children will not escape their will sooner or later, and usually sooner than later, they will encounter their form of suffering, whatever it is. You protect them as much as you can, but when you see certain things are inevitable, they may do things, uh, unconscious behavior, they may generate their own suffering, self-generated, or it may happen to them from the outside. But no matter what, it will happen. And then, rather than uh, going into intense anguish, see, this is human suffering. And every human, you had to go through your forms of suffering. In my case, for example, I had, my parents were, had very heavy pain bodies. There was constant conflict at home. And that was my constant suffering. 
this, of course, not only applies to children, it also applies to other people that may be close to you and going through their suffering. Uh, you do what you can to help them, what you, whatever you can. The important thing is that you don't go into anguish yourself, because by going into anxiety and anguish yourself, you're not helping them at all. Okay. Because whatever state you are in transmits itself to others. How does playing a role at work uh, keep us from being uh, powerful? Well, if you play a role at work, you always have a secondary motive in what you do, because the ego is at work. Mm -hmm. You are not totally focused on the task at hand, because there is some self-interest there. You want to protect yourself, you want to get credit for yourself, you want to perhaps eliminate other people around you, mm -hmm. or perhaps you want to use other people. If you have a position of little power, then the ego is kind of there in potential. It's there, it's latent as far as your work situation is concerned. Right. The similar situation you have in certain third world, third world countries, uh -huh. where often you find uh, a revolution overthrows the government, and the people who initiate the revolution have the best intentions. They want, eventually, they want to do away with corruption. They want the best for their country. The moment they get into power, the latent ego in them, although they had good intentions, mm -hmm. comes up and they repeat the same dysfunction that, that they wanted to do away with. <laughs> Happens all the time. Yes. All right. Um, Charlie lives in Stockholm. I hear you have a question yes. about raising your three-year-old daughter. Go ahead. The question about her is, how do you stay present when you're trying to discipline your child and she starts screaming and shouting? And she's only three, so I can't really explain to her that it's really your ego that's coming uh -huh. out. And I feel like she's learning these roles. I guess my question is, you know, I want her, I want to raise her as a more conscious human being. You know, I don't want her to be awakened at the age of 35 like me. <laughs> so how do you... How do you raise a more conscious child? And how do you stay more conscious when you're dealing with conflict? Because I don't want to set a negative pattern for, you know, when she's 16 and she wants to borrow the car, for example. Yes, yes. I would suggest that you pay, first of all, pay more attention to your inner state than to what is happening to your daughter. Uh, because I believe you experience perhaps uh, your daughter causing you feelings of anxiety sometimes. Yeah, right on. You believe Absolutely. that? Uh, now, that, that seems to be the case, that your daughter, by going through certain kinds of behavior, causes you feelings of anxiety. But ultimately, that is not the case. You cause yourself the feelings of anxiety. When your daughter refuses to eat, she's not making you anxious. It, only you can do that. <laughs> so okay. it is vital what state of consciousness you are in, what emotional state you are in when you are relating to your daughter. Because if you're often in a state of anxiety, you get into a vicious circle. The anxiety that you believe were, was caused by your daughter's behavior, but is ultimately caused by your reaction to your daughter's behavior, that anxiety then will affect her. And that is a nervous energy field that will provoke further 
so-called bad behavior in her because uh, children a, absorb. I was going to say, a three-year-old is absorbing that and picking up that energy more than even your language. Yes. They're, they're picking up the energy that you carry. Yes. Right. Yes. Yes. So your because first... Because that is their, their language. That's right. Yeah. And so your first yeah. realization needs to... Your first interest needs to be in any situation with your child okay, there's the external situation, there's what the child is doing or is not doing but should be doing, or screaming or whatever it is, or not eating, not wanting to go to bed, whatever children do. But your first interest needs to be, okay, what's my inner state right now? Am I accepting this moment, no matter what form it is? What I suggest is the little mantra that I recommend is to ask yourself whether you can be there as the space for whatever your daughter does. Can I be the space for this? This is a general thing that many people will find helpful no matter what situation you go into in life, at work, at home, wherever. The present moment, am I able to accept this moment as it is or am I saying this should be different. You should behave differently, but she's not behaving differently. She's behaving the way she's behaving right now. You need to accept that right now she's screaming, if that's what she does. There it is. Can I be the space for that? And then you see her screaming. Another, this is related to the little exercise we had earlier, where you felt yourself becoming transparent to an irritating external situation, so that you don't have a reactive yeah. barrier inside you. That's hard to do, though, when your child is screaming because yes. your immediate instinct, I would think, is to stop the child from screaming, yes. to resist the screaming, yes. to try to prevent more screaming. Yes. And so the resistance of that, the angst and the anxiety of that creates more screaming. More screaming. Because if you could just be calm enough to allow your calmness to then calm yes. the child. That's easier said than done, though. Yes, it's, that's your spiritual practice. Yeah. You don't need any other spiritual practice for the next... <laughs> for the next <laughs> uh, yes, for the next few years. Yeah. That is your main... It's wow. far better than going to a monastery and meditate all day long. It's much more effective. Make that into your spiritual practice. And then you will see as you go... You become more peaceful and yes. more accepting of the present moment, more being the space, then that will transmit itself to the child and affect the child. And if the child will absorb your emanation, your energetic vibrational frequency, and the change will happen in that way, rather than feeling that I need to change her. The change happens when you change. Yeah. That, that is to prevent her, but that is to not allow her to do things that are dangerous or to, no. you know, he's not saying that, but no. he's saying about adjusting the way you are being, capital B, with her. Yes. Capital B. Yes. Thank you. Thank, Thank you, you so much. much. Ah, it's a way of being. Yes. Present. Yes. For any situation. And what you were saying is we can apply it not just to children, but to all situations. Any situation, uh, and it's usually the case, the the most, in some, in some people's lives, they have a variety of little challenges. Right. But there's other people who have one predominant difficulty in right. their lives, right. whether it's another person, 
whether it's a health situation mm -hmm. or whether it's a work situation or financial problem. They have one huge challenge in their lives. And uh, usually one would consider the main, this huge challenge in your life as your greatest enemy almost, the greatest burden, or as Christians would call it, my cross. To bear. To bear. Yeah. Now this, it doesn't, this can actually be turned around and you can make that very thing that is considered uh, your, your great, cross to bear. You can make that into your greatest help on the spiritual path. Right. Because it's precisely there that you can, if you can bring acceptance to that and be the space for that situation that is usually called, would usually be called bad by the mind, mm -hmm. but it is, you can't argue with that. This is the situation right now. Can I be the space for that? Then that situation takes you into surrender and into presence. So, so many people, when they were first talking about purchasing this book, I saw a lot of messages from people saying, I hope this, you know, shows me my life purpose. I want to awaken to my life's purpose. And for a lot of people, that per they want that to be something grand. They want it to be, you know, saving starving children in India and Africa. They want it to be some, you know, great description or something. But what you're saying is, is that if we are allow ourselves to be fully present with whatever our chosen function is in life and whatever difficulties might arise, that there is sacredness in the difficulty. Yes. If we allow it to be. Yes, and be fully present with whatever it, the situation is now. Yes. And then go from there. So because then your inner self changes when you're fully present with the situation, you're no longer putting up resi internal resistance to life. Even if there is that thing that you call, there's something uh, that you call background happiness, there's something that happened or needs to happen or someone who yes, did something. Yes, background unhappiness. Background unhappiness. Yes. There's something that happened or needs to, he refers to that on page 114, everybody. There's something that needs to happen in my life before I can be at peace. Something happened mm. in the past that should not have happened. Something is happening now that should not be happening. How do we make peace yes. with the background unhappiness of uh, our lives? Yes, so you recognize the background unhappiness as not a content-based, but as structural. It's the structure of the egoic mind to create that. And no matter what situation, if you haven't tackled or recognized the, the structure of the ego in yourself as certain thought forms that repeat themselves, no matter what situation you go into, they will come up in some new form, but basically the same structure. <laughs> I got it. I got it. The Secret to Happiness, everybody, page 115. There are three words that convey the secret of the art of living, the secret of all success and happiness. One with life. Being one with life is being one with now, you say. You then realize that you don't live your life, but life lives you. Life is the dancer and you are the dance. I have to tell you, I love this book, but I was like, gee, I thought, Life was the, was the dance, and I was the dancer. <laughs> and there are a lot of people who are saying the same thing. Can you explain how life is the dancer, and we are the dance? Why aren't we the dancer? We're the dancer. You are not separate from life. So whatever any 
form. Life is the dancer. Life is dancing the dance of form, one could say. Every human being and everything that, everything that exists is part of the dance of life. Uh -huh. That which moves you, the very consciousness that animates your being, that, that animates every cell of your body, that produces thoughts too, uh -huh. the very consciousness that you are is the one universal, the one life. Okay. And that permeates everything. It's so the entire universe is permeated by that consciousness, by life, which is okay. another word for God. God. Uh, I don't see God as an entity that has, is in a particular place somewhere, uh -huh. but as the essence, the, the intelligence, the animating life essence behind all life forms. It's the eternal. The totality. Yes. It's the totality. You see God. You're saying that God is, your idea of God is the totality of the essence of all life form. Yes, and ultimately, you are not separate from that. It's the egoic mind that says, my life. The moment you say, my life, you've already separated yourself from life. It's a thought. You have a thought to say, this is my life, and then you think, oh, I can lose my life. I am not separate from life because I am life. It's only through, through the structure of language that you create the illusion of separation. Mm -hmm. I see the that. The dog still knows on a primordial level, the animal, the tree knows that it is one with life. So it doesn't have this fear of death, and it doesn't see itself as separate from the rest of the universe. So, so let me ask you the big question. You have no fear of death? No, no. The ego has dissolved, and so only the ego fears death. I know there is no death. You know there is no death. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> okay, tell me how. I have a little thing at the end of this chapter. I know, you say the uh, incontrovertible proof of immortality. I read that and I went, okay, well, I read that, I still... <laughs> I've done a little thing I did there. Usually when people talk about immortality, they use certain arguments, perhaps from physics. They say the, the energy gets never is destroyed. Energy can only become transformed. That's right, transformed. So the vital energy that is your life, because energy cannot be destroyed, must survive in some form. That's often the argument for the survival of that life is there is no death, only the form right. dissolves. That's right. That's one way you can approach it. But right. what I thought I'd do, I'd look at the structure of this sentence of language that says, my life, or I have a life. Because most people believe that they have a life. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and they also believe that they can lose their life. Now, <laughs> if you look at that sentence and say, I can lose my life, then I am separate from life. So there is no such thing as my life, you say at the end of uh, this chapter, page 128. Because I am life. I am not separate from life. I am an expression of the one life, a temporary expression in this form of the one timeless and formless life. So I don't have a life because I am life, expressing itself as this form. Okay, so what happens when you talked about your, your mother and father lying in the casket and you realized that the life force or formlessness of the, that they were lying in the casket and there were these bodies, but they were not there. Yes. They were not there. 
So we're not our bodies. We no. do know that. Yes. Everybody who's reading this book knows we're not our bodies. We do get that. Yes. And that's uh, once you can actually sense that, uh, on not just as a, it's not just a belief. You can also see that you're not your body, even if you just approach it logically and see that when there's a dead body, then the, the that being is not there anymore. There's mm -hmm. only the flesh and the bones. Right. And when the being isn't there anymore, the flesh and the bones very quickly dissolve. When the animating, the animating presence isn't there anymore, all this, the atoms and molecules separate right. and go their own way. Right. Because the animating presence is not there anymore. Okay, so continuing here. So there is no such thing as my life, and I don't have a life. life. I am life. life. I and life are one. It cannot be otherwise. So how could I lose my life? How can I lose something that I don't have in the first place? How can I lose something that I am? It is impossible. No, so no. what is happening here is I just got it. Hello, hello, hello. Bing, 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 bing. <laughs> I got it. We are confusing um, the I am life force yes. with our bodies. Yes, yes. We're confusing that. Yes, that's right, that's right. So when this dies, and becomes the shell and dissipates and the atoms go wherever they go, back into the ground, ashes to ashes, dust to dust. We are confusing that which is the physical form, yes. the human, we're confusing that with the being. Yes, that's yeah. right. And they are separate. Yes. So another way, if you don't like the word life, you can say the universe, people believe that I am here, and there's the rest of the universe. And they right. believe I have come into this universe. They don't right. know from where. Yeah. I've come into this universe. It would be more appropriate to feel that you have come out of this universe because you are this universe experiencing itself very briefly. As a human. As a human. As a human. I got that. And so it wants to do that. <laughs> I got that, I got that, I got that. It's got wonderful that. when you realize there's more to you than a person. You are the universe expressing, expressing itself. Exper as, expressing itself. Yes, and experiencing. As a human. As a human. And it, called it, Eckhart. Yes, for a little while. For a little while. And then it goes through other experiences. And then where do we go, Eckhart? Could you tell us that? Well, let's see what happens. What happens. <laughs> <laughs> Otherwise, you, you take the fun out of it. You have to, I mean, if you knew the rest of your life, already the fun would be taken out of it. Oh, okay. Yeah. All right. <laughs> well, before we say goodbye, uh, I know there's lots we did not get to in this chapter. We could have spent, you know, two or three weeks on this one chapter. But um, what would you say is the essence of this chapter? The essence of this chapter Yeah, is... the role-playing chapter. What I said in the beginning, that we're humans and beings and in this body trying to trying to live through the two. Yes, it's balancing the human and the being so that you can be function in this world of form where you have to do things and fulfill your function. Mm -hmm. At the same time, not lose yourself in that, be rooted in the depth of being so that you're not lost in form. So there's a depth to you and a rootedness in that stillness that aliveness, and then from there you function out here. And there's always then a peace in the background.
piece in the background. No matter what's happening out there. And most particularly, not to be attached to, defined by the roles that we play in life and realize what they are, just roles. Yes. 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 And relinquish the role when it's not required anymore. Mm -hmm. When your children grow up, you don't need to be mother or father. You don't need to play that role anymore. See, so many people think that that is who they are. And yes. so when their children grow up, they don't know who they are anymore. Yes. Can yeah. be a crisis. Or, or people retire. That's and right. They had identified. And they were their job. Yes. And then, who am I? Yeah, you were talking about in Japan, where it used to be you kept yeah. your job for life. Yes. And, and you were sharing with us the last time about a, a man who committed suicide. Well, there's been many cases of people in Japan who lost their jobs and committed suicide because they were so identified their company was their sense of self. Mm -hmm. Well, fascinating. I want to thank all of you around the world for making this, uh, this is a really a remarkable experience for making it possible. Tell all your friends, share the book with them. If they say, I don't get it, that's okay. That's really okay. <laughs> That's okay. They'll have the book and maybe pick it up a year from now, two years from now, 10 years from now. Next week, it's the chapter many of you have been waiting for. Chapter five, the pain body. <laughs> the pain body. If you feel burdened by your past, uh, begin to learn how to lighten that load. That's going to be really very exciting. This was fun. I'm Oprah Winfrey, and you've been listening to Super Soul Conversations, the podcast. You can follow Super Soul on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. If you haven't yet, go to Apple Podcasts and subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. Join me next week for another Super Soul Conversation. Thank you for listening. <laughs> <laughs>